Good to see everyone this morning. Um, thankful to be able to speak to you uh, in this meeting. This has been maybe the, at least from my perception, the fastest meeting I've ever been a part of. It seems like we just started and now we are finishing. I will say, I try to deal in meetings things that are very relevant to us, and this one is one that I, it's only been in recent years that I've really, and really in the last eight months, that I've really come to understand a lot of what is going on in our culture. I'm not, as I speak of these things, trying to stir you to political activity or to other things, but to recognize the battle, the tremendous battle that's being fought on many fronts. And there's probably no greater battle that's being fought in the area of the home and the attitude of this culture toward men. <coughs> Um, you can see it statistically where you're seeing the collapse of the performance of men in high school and in college. Just, just look at admissions, look at performance, look at historical trends. There's no accident. It's no accident. I didn't understand until recently that there's this, uh, the religion promoted by our government that some call postmodernism, some call critical theory, but it's basically, they get to define what are oppressor groups. Not based on evidence, not based on reason, but asserted. And it has been for some time that men are viewed as being toxic and evil. Now, men can do terrible things and bad things. But let me illustrate. There was a good Christian that I was very close to that served as a White House police officer for 33 years. And he was telling me he was watching the eventual purging of older men who would want to deal with, um, you know, crimes or something based on evidence. And how there was at a group, they were going to try to train them in this new way of thinking. And they said, you should, when there is an accusation, you should always believe the woman. And everybody seems to accept that. Old Bill stood out. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I'm going to go where the evidence leads. <laughs> and then there's a few other people kind of stood. Yeah, yeah, Sarge is right. <clears throat> but again, I don't want to go too deep into the culture here, but you will find, particularly in colleges and other places, <coughs> and many other areas where men basically are viewed from the beginning as evil without any evidence. And look at the movies. Look at the television shows. And you've seen it, you just can't quite sure what it was where men are pictured as idiots consistently. And so again, I won't go further there, but I would say even people who are very, very liberal politically, and, and that there's several who's written books that says there's a crisis going on and everybody seems to want to ignore it. Now, having said that, Let's just lay that, you know, what you're seeing in the public and those things aside. And let me say this about Christians. We can beat this. We can be victorious. And we need to be aware of the power we have, the power of faith, the power of the family, the power of the local church. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So let's jump into building a godly man. So what I'm dealing here with here is specifically man today. We can talk about raising godly women, and, and there's similar things here, but I, I felt a need. I did a, This is a summary of a whole quarter that I did in Auburn. We spent a whole quarter on this and went into detail of various aspects, 
of how we can be sure our young men being raised by Christians, being raised in the church, can be strong. One of the things that you're seeing right now within these theories in societies, they deny reality. The progression of critical theory has come to the idea of you can choose your own gender. It is destructive, it is crazy, it is insane, and it is being pushed with the power of government, with every force that could be possible. You're seeing that within the major corporations as well. And so we're in la-la land, but it has great consequences. And you're now seeing, I saw this article the other day, where over and over and over again, a man or a woman, in this case normally it's the man objecting to the wife wanting her son to be taking these drugs that would, at a young age, that would destroy his malehood. It's unbelievable how consistently judges are now have accepted this and anyway to the destruction to the physical harm and psychological harm of young men and to me we we got to the point where people you know they, they laugh about god they laugh about morality they laugh at us and that's okay i don't mind people laughing at me I, i'm going to be known by my enemies and i'm okay if people don't know who a man or woman is and they won't laugh at me and i'll say this anyway, i'll stop there but keep going so here's what the bible says there's nothing new here you can get caught up in power and money. You can get caught up in the wisdom of the age and be a fool. You don't listen to God, and that's what we're seeing here, Jeremiah 2.11. Has a nation changed its God? Was there not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, oh heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be very desolate says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I look at the path people are taking, I would be thinking, they're going to figure out this is crazy. But you know, there was an old saying that I used to have where we sometimes saw relatives and others going down a path and you're kind of thinking, well, life will beat it out of them. <laughs> you know, but you know what? That doesn't always work. Life sometimes doesn't beat it out of them. And so if the world goes crazy, we don't have to follow them. But we need to draw close to our God. I'm mindful of Proverbs 30 as we look at the consequences of the destruction of the home. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Oh, social justice. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 13, there is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Nothing new under the sun. Those that proclaim the new morality are the most accusatory, judgmental, close-minded, and they destroy themselves in the process. So let me say, talk about God's bulwarks. I, I love military history. It's very interesting. I don't like war. I don't like what war does. War's terrible. You don't want to be a part of war. If you can avoid war, you want to avoid war if you can. I'm talking about carnal warfare. But God talked about spiritual warfare and what you need, you need bulwarks. You need strength. And God says, I can take care of spiritual warfare. You trust me, 
Isaiah 26, 1, in that day a song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation who keeps the truth may enter in, who will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God will deliver. And so one of the things I ask you to do as we talk about this, don't get focused on the political. There's the danger here. You get sucked into that aspect. Focus on God. Focus on relationships. Focus on the things that God says to take care of. And we can build godly men. We can do it. I like how God reminded David in 2 Samuel 7. David, you remember what I did with you? Here you were, this shepherd. <laughs> You're out here. Nobody's nobody out here. In verse 2 Samuel 7 and 8, Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. As God took care of David, he can take care of us. Trust God. Don't take the burdens of the world. One more time. Don't, don't get into the political side of this. But get into the spiritual side. And let's fulfill the roles God has given in the home and in the church. Brethren, again, I, I, I'll admit to you, I, as I keep looking at what I see with my eyes, it is unbelievable what is happening in this country and what has happened. There is a, the, I grew up in West End in Birmingham, Alabama, and that community has changed quite a bit. I'll never forget, this was back, wow, this was back 20 years ago, I saw an old Birmingham newspaper front page the word the city's deadliest zip code three five two one one and it had my old neighborhood with all the murders that had occurred up to August of that year. And you know another statistic you would find in that neighborhood today. Ninety-two percent of all births were out of wedlock. And you look at statistics of this country. You destroy the father-son relationship. You destroy the home. Well, there's going to be consequences. What's about the nature of God? God identifies himself with the home. He designed the home. And God wants us to think of him as a father to us. In Hebrews 12, 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That's supposed to be a rhetorical question. For what son is there that a father does not chasten? There's all kinds today. Through the force of government, the father has been eliminated from the home in many cases. In the, the great society under Leonard Johnson, it has had its consequences. I've had studies with a couple that they decided to get divorced. They were not Christians. And the reason why they decided to get divorced, they get more money from the government. And I was in a study, and somebody knocked on the front door, and the husband ran out the back. Because <laughs> he didn't want them to be seen together. And I remember there were people, there were even Democratic senators, pleading, don't pass this bill. You're going to destroy the home. You're going to destroy the home of the poor. And that is, that has its consequences. <coughs> 
God likens himself to a father at the end of this verse. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? We need fathers. We need mothers. And I'm focusing this morning on fathers. And so, what do you do in our culture? In our culture today, the majority of boys in many places have never been around their dad of any significance. I'm speechless as I think of that. As I, I told my children when they were growing up, I said, you know, God blesses us. And again, I'm, I know some of you have gone through unjust divorces or maybe you've gone through circumstances in your past where now you've repented of that. But I, I, I want to say, I, there's a power in having a godly husband and a godly wife, godly parents raising kids. And I would tell our kids, I says, you know, God has blessed you because your mother and I will serve God. And you're going to find as you grow up, and they come back and told me later, they've seen this, the breakup of the home has been, they've seen consequences of that. When I grew up, I'm telling you, you may think I grew up on another planet. In the 60s, divorce was nearly unheard of in my community. Really, it was. How have we moved so rapidly and so quickly in our culture? And so again, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. One of the things I want to tell you, and again, I'm not a prophet of what's going to happen in the next generation or this country and other things, but I do know that when parents behave in ways that are wrong, it affects generations. Now, you may ask, well, what does this verse mean? And we talk about this verse being, but I think this verse means that oftentimes, You'll find going through multiple generations, let's say somebody has difficulty with anger and addiction, you oftentimes see that go through families. And we could go on and Deuteronomy 5 9. You shall bow that you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now let me say something. Anybody can turn to God and break a pattern. But this is a pattern that you see that when you break up the home, you oftentimes will curse the children in the further generations. Bible truth. Let's talk about sons. There are unique needs that a son has in upbringing in contrast to a daughter. A daughter has unique needs too. But let's talk about sons. And in, in, in those who talk about child development say, you know, the, child, the boy's got an extra step in development. Naturally, naturally, both boys and girls are attached to their mama. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. As I've mentioned to you, you know, I, this has always been true, but uh, when I'm in trouble, I call for mama first, uh, you know. Now, I, I found some techniques to make that happen, like, you know, my dad used to get his pocket knife out when I had a splinter, you know, and take the, the splinter out of my finger, and he did a good job of it. I tried to do that once with my boys, and they called for mama. Do you know that? I didn't even have to take the splinter out. And so sometimes as a husband, I was really glad that, you know, they would run to mama with the, the, the bloody finger or the other things, and that was okay. But there comes a point in the development of a young man where he needs to be really connected to his father, and he makes that transition. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to do a lesson on homosexuality in this particular series, 
but uh, I've converted some of that background. And the relationship to the Father is crucial. I remember one man that became a Christian and worked with him. I'd already worked with his parents. His parents had a very poor marriage. There was a lot of anger and depression in the home. And I remember after converting this young man, the one thing he wanted more than anything in his life was to be respected and accepted by his dad. And he was. And he, and he caught AIDS at a time where AIDS was a death sentence. But Ray taught me a lot of things. And anyway, I, I could talk a lot about that, a lot. It's very interesting when you talk about these alternative lifestyles that everybody thinks is great, when you really understand the background of this and how this typically happens, there's always exceptions. There's a way out of it. You know what? If you were professional trying to help somebody have a homosexuality, you could be committing a crime today in certain parts of the, of the country. But anyway, there's that transition. And so, you know, I, I appreciate my dad. My dad had really good wisdom. I remember my brother, I don't know, my brother was a little different. He was kind of, he was a challenge, a good man. And he's a good, faithful Christian today. But I remember my dad almost coached his team almost all the time. They never coached my team. But I think he was trying to really draw close to Mike. And then when he did coach my team, that was the one year I made the All-Stars. <laughs> I just had the best year ever. You know, my dad was coaching. But see, I love, of course, I love to be with my dad fishing. My brother didn't do that. So I had a lot of time with my dad. So don't, there was no competition there. I wasn't jealous of my dad spending more time with my brother. But you see, there comes a time where men need to be around men. And they need to have that example of what it, need, what it means to be a man. It is critical. Fathers, be with your sons. Be with your sons. Take time with them. Just, just please do that. Of course, you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to love it. And I love, I, I love still, I just, some of the most fun times is me getting with my boys and doing things, and I still try to stay connected with them. Proverbs 4 and verse 1, Hear, my children, the instructions of a father. And give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctor. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. I remember. I remember. My dad only had an automobile accident one time. And I still remember it because he instructed me later, when you're merging and somebody's in front of you merging, don't take your eyes off the one in front of you because they may stop. That's what happened to him. And I still remember that because my dad taught me with earnestness. Now, here's something I've learned, son. You need to know this. And he had a lot of sayings that I remember. But I'm thankful to have such a dad. So let's talk about men. Do you know what's happening right now? <coughs> Natural things that men naturally do by design are being pictured as evil. Oh my, when you have that, you're going to end up creating problems for men. Men's bodies and brains are different. They're different in how we think. I mean, I love the, you know, Vid and I talk a lot of times about you know, as a man, I tend to deal with a problem, want to solve a problem. You know, I'm very... You know, let's deal with one problem at a time. And Yvette in a conversation can go through five or six different things. You know, well, okay, what, what topic are we on? You know, it's the way so we talk about women's minds are like, like men's are like waffles. We've got these separate little things we want to solve. And women's are like spaghetti going everywhere. Now, not every woman's that way. Not every man's that way. But typically we're that way. We, we find differences we have. 
I want to solve problems. Sometimes my wife just wants to talk about problems and share the emotion. And that's not exactly how I'm put together, but I understand she needs that. We're not getting to marriage counseling this morning, but uh, that we're different. And that's great. Understand it. Work together. Uh, oh, here is a controversial verse. And I say that, hopefully, not with Christians, but Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so it makes really good sense to understand we're not all alike. We're different. Biologically, we're different. Psychologically, we're different. There are differences by design. Recognize it. Don't deny it. See, man has tendencies. They could be molded for good or bad. But woe to those who deny reality. We men tend to be doers. We tend to be outward oriented. We tend to be explorative. Determined to deliver the goods, to accomplish the goal. We goal oriented. We oftentimes are thinking about what's next in a very logical place. Opportunistic. We'll take chances. We're initiators. We're active and aggressive. We're competitive and dominant. There is nothing wrong with those things brought under the control of God. Now, sometimes I get elbowed about things that I didn't think I acted this way, but I got a T-shirt once. I hardly ever wore it where it says if I... If I can't win, I don't play, or something like that. I mean, suggesting that I was too competitive. And, you know, I like guys that are competitive. I'll never forget, Yvette and I, we uh, had a couple down the road that were Christians, a young couple, and we decided to play rook together. And the two guys played together, and the two women played together. And you know what happened when we won a game? We would high-five one another. We'd do things. And if they made a mistake, we'd kind of laugh at that. We just had a good time. We were acting like guys. And you know what happened the next day? Man was a little quiet. Was, I can't believe you behaved that way last night. <laughs> and I talked with the other brother. because you know what? My wife had some things to say to me. This is the way guys do. And of course, we have to learn that, don't we, guys? You know. So I learned, okay, you, you can still feel that way. You just can't express it just so strong, you know. And so... We are put together differently. But can you imagine if you have a school system or teachers that treat those tendencies as evil, that is God-given tendencies? You're going to create a mess. That boy is going to think, well, it's, it's, it's going to have a lot of psychological problems. And so again, what you want to do is you take those strengths and you bring it to God and, and mold yourself before God. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. That's what we want to teach young men and women to do. Psalms 34, 7, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Boys and men, we have powerful potential directed by the Lord. We can be warriors. We can be strong and valid in difficult times. We can stand up to the adversary. God typically has given men some strengths that can make them very strong in conflict, very strong in enduring difficult circumstances. These things are not bad. 
But you know, as you're dealing with a bully, you gotta learn how to deal with that. And so, you know, there are things that, you know, I, I think years ago, I think the comedian Bill Cosby had this thing about young men, and it was kind of a funny thing. And so he says, it seems like all young boys have brain damage. Now, he was just being joking about it, but sometimes things that we do aggressively that think's a good idea, and we jump out there, and your parents would think, what were you thinking? So, yes, we do a lot of dumb things. Well, I'll never forget, my brother liked to make things blow up. And he kind of taught me those things. And so we would make our home homemade firecrackers. We'd go collect. My, my dad didn't want to buy any fireworks for us. Okay. My dad used to say, I wouldn't give 10 cents for a whole truckload, you know, of the fireworks. But, well, for us boys, we like to blow things up. So every, uh, you know, New Year's, every 4th of July, we'd get up early and we would walk different blocks around the street and find all the unshot firecrackers that were duds. We got razor blades and we opened those things up and we gathered the gunpowder and we would make a firecracker. <laughs> I'll never forget the firecracker we set off one time. And we took it back into the woods. My brother had wrapped it and put liquid wood around it and all of this and had an M80 fuse going in there and we took it out to the railroad tracks. And we lit it. And of course, now, I was not as aggressive as my brother, so, you know, I hid behind a tree, okay? And my brother lit it. We all ran and nothing happened. Well, my brother wasn't going to let that happen. So he took some matches, clipped the, the match head, stuck them into the, the firecracker, then lit that and ran. Well, he got like five steps until... I'll never forget, I heard echoes. You know, as the shockwave went through the neighborhood and other places. And I remember us coming out of the woods. People were coming out of their houses looking... What did you do? Oh, we shot a firecracker. That wasn't a firecracker. Anyway, but I remember I was thinking back, what were we thinking? So boys can do some interesting things. We can be very aggressive, can't we? But that's part of being boys. We've got to learn how to handle these things with wisdom. We talk about parenting. Parents, there's no greater challenge than instill faith in your children, both boys and girls. To me, it's one of the most difficult things to ever do in the church, and we can do it. But I, I don't want to discourage you, but you go back through Old Testament history, New Testament history, you go through church history, God's people have failed miserably in stealing faith in the next generation. You can go back to Israel, where the Bible said that in the book of Judges, there arose a generation that didn't know the Lord. It typically happens almost with consistency in three generations. You'll find a generation that comes up that really hasn't come to the point to know God and faith to be instilled. We can do it. But notice in the context of teaching your children, look at this. You heard this verse before, by the way. Just, just think about it. Have you heard this verse, Deuteronomy 6, 5? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. We've heard that one, haven't we? That is the greatest commandment. Look what follows. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What a blessing. See your children follow the Lord. What a super blessing to see your grandchildren follow the Lord. But understand you have to commit your whole heart, soul, and spirit to it. Don't be overconfident. 
Okay. Uh, I think we've covered these things. So um, let's talk about examples. When you talk about young boys, boys need to be around the right people. They need to be around those that will mold them. I, I've told my sons and I've told my daughter, one of the most important things you'll find in your development spiritually is who you make your friends. And I would say to parents, as you see your child develop, make provisions for them to be around parents who have godly children. I appreciate so much. There's so many families that have done this, but I'm thinking of Ed Bragwell, Ed and Patsy Bragwell. Ed passed away recently, and then Doug and Vicki Russell, and then Stephen and Amy and others, and going throughout the family. One of the things they did a lot, they opened up their home. Ever been their home, Mark? Yeah, you chance? Yeah. I mean, their homes are open, and we'd be around Christians. Find ways to be have your children around other Christians, and if you're in a more distant place. Try to have them connect in other ways. Go to camps. But establishing relationships are crucial. It's really crucial for a young man. It's interesting, as we have to every Christian, Paul wrote, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. But here, we, in Hebrews 6.12, it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, I, when I grew up, when I was a boy, my dad's the best man on earth. My dad can beat up your dad. No, I didn't do that. But yeah, my dad, my, my dad says it. It's like the Lord saying. And by the way, parents, dads, do you know where your son's first concept of God's going to come from? It's going to come from you. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. And and that, you know, I remember when Stephen I first brought Stephen home and we kind of looked at each other. What do we do now? And that's okay to have that attitude. Ask, ask God for help. But you see, I love when my dad praised me. I, I didn't like it when he disappointed me. He didn't have to spite me. <laughs> I'll say this. My mother, my dad was the nuclear weapon. Now my mother sometimes, you know, she was going to get that little switch out. And sometimes I fail to understand you should cry or act like it hurts when she spanks you. You know, I, 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 I ended up a few times almost laughing. Okay, I'm going to let your dad take care of it. <laughs> and so that's the one where my dad said, I want you to go in the restroom and I want to take clothes off and I'm going to be there in a minute. And then I'd have to wait, <sighs> you know. And it was never that bad. The weight was bad enough. But, you know, when my mother says, my dad, you know, dad's going to take care of you when you get home. And so that tells them. But anyway, dads, need good dads. Uh, you don't have to be violent or ugly, but when you love your dad, you respect him. Now let's keep developing. Let's get low. Let's, let's develop from you know, toddlers to young preteens and teens. One of the things about guys, generally speaking, we're not the best at relationships. We're slower than girls. I mean, you see that naturally. Girls raised up with dolls and things and relationships, and I can, you know, we're kind of fighting things, and we're still doing things with guys, competing with guys, and the idea of even figuring girls are out there is that there's kind of a transition where that occurs. And so men are slower about that. Then we'll, we'll go for achievement and competition. So one of the things you've got to work with your sons on is how to work with others. It's, it's not everything's the military. 
You're, you're not to, as Jesus said, be like the Gentiles. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. And so one of the struggles I've had, you know, I was kind of a slow learner. I had to cook a little longer in a lot of ways when it came to relationships because you're going from that young boy competition with boys then learning about girls, learning about others, learning about uh, understanding others, having empathy with others. These are things that sometimes don't come natural for, for boys. And I realize I'm speaking generally. There's always exceptions to this. In Proverbs 5.1, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, that your lips may keep knowledge. From the lips of a moral woman drip hunting, her mouth is smoother than oil. And so here, you know, you need to know who to be around. Boys can get crazy. Oh, young man can get crazy. They get infatuated with somebody and they think it's love and they can't see anything. You know, there, there are a lot of things you've got, you've got to teach young men and young women. And wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Now, here's something that, again, Yvette and I were on the learning curve and there were things we would do different today that we didn't understand when it's all happened, but the digital aspect, computers, online things. We found this in Auburn. We found some capable young men that would go to school in Auburn, would be on a scholarship, and somehow they got into these online games. Some, unfortunately, got into pornography and other things, which is a massive problem of young men. Massive problem. And they got into these things, what I call a digital dungeon, and they literally just spent hours on games and other things. And so again, there's some more aspects of, of challenges you've got to watch out for. You See, guys, very easily, if relationships don't go well, they don't know how to deal with others, they create their own world. They control it all, but it's not real. And they can become enslaved in ways I'd never dream of. Back when I was growing up, we'd get out and play ball and do things and go out and do things. And today, you can end up creating your own little world in your with your computer. 2 Peter 2.19 talks about the nature of sin. It says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. And so, life is difficult. And see, that's the thing I appreciate about watching my dad work. And then later, when I became a Christian, I had some really good friends. I have to tell you um, who I connected with, who I looked up to, was the most critical decision of my life spiritually. I, I had a wonderful friend by the name of David Hartzell. He passed away in the last few years. I had some other really good friends, good, good brothers in Christ. I, I was able to have men I could call and talk to. Bob Waldron, Ed Bragwell, others. I could name names of men that were willing to say, take time with me. And there would be times as a young preacher, like I got this mess, Aubrey Blue was another one. And I'd call and I'd talk to. You see, we men, we need one another even if we go on. But who you put around you? It is so crucial, and I'm just thankful for that. I'll say that one thing. If I would really give emphasis to parents, watch the relationship of your children. And by the way, parents, here's one other little thing. As they get older, and even as they have kids, you stay connected with them. Mother-daughter relationship is what we talk about, but you know, the connection of mothers to their daughters is very powerful. 
And even as they get older, if they want that kind of association, that kind of connection, it's really, really important. Deuteronomy 4.9, only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I'll let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Connection, connection, connection. And I'm thankful. I know I, I'm getting going off into daughters, but I know that my daughter Emily loves to call Yvette almost every day. And I'm really happy about that. And my boys call me not as much. You know, sometimes those guys, you know, Dad, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing good. Well, it's good to visit with you. Oh, good. Thank you, sir. No, it's not that bad, you know. We, we, we're not as talkative, so to speak. But I'm glad my, my boys want to call and talk to me. And they talk with, share things with me. Relationships. Who do you open your heart to? And could I say, when I became a Christian, and I pretty well had my family go another path, I found people in the church that I could connect to. This is so important. And it's not complicated. It's not complicated. And so, um, the right kind of relationship. Proverbs 13, 20. The Bible says, He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. One of the things I often will talk to my children about is what is the direction of your relationships? I'm speaking of all of us. Take the last three years. What relationships have you lost? What relationships have you gained? One great spiritual barometer is to see that direction and that path. And so I'm just going to leave it there. I think I've said enough, enough about that. Again, Association with true conviction, I think we made the point, but look at a couple of verses. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If you don't have people in this life that really you're right now, you connect to that are strong Christians, connect to those in the Scriptures. I'll never forget jogging with David Hartzell. And we were going on our first training run. We'd go out for sometimes an 8-mile run or a 10-mile run, and you got some time to talk. And I remember him talking about his admiration for Jesus and of how Jesus says the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. And he was talking about how impressed he was with that verse. And here he saw Jesus as that one standing up. And we were doing this on a training run. Do you understand that as you admire Bible characters, as you think about them, as you go into, you take a verse and you dig into details, what would it have been like to have been there? And look at the examples put before us in Hebrews 11. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, also of David and Samuel the prophets. Men need to be around other men and see examples. And so you can take time. Again, our time is almost up. But you know, you had, first off, a godly mother, a godly grandmother, Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I persuaded you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. First off, I will tell you, in my life, I say it unashamedly, even though my mother's faith was not perfect, there were things that really biblically we, 
would try to study and work later. She had a genuine faith. She believed in God, and it had an impact on my brother and myself. And I'm always thankful for that. But as one, we see Timothy. Who did Timothy look up to? Paul reminded Timothy that you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Later on in 2 Timothy 3.14, but you must continue the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. I am going to, looks like time-wise, I'm just going to sum some things up. I didn't deal with the last section. And let me sum it up. Local churches. You know, churches, you talk about all the churches losing participation of me. It's always been true, but it's greater today. A lot of churches have almost become, how can I say it, uh, feminized. Not that being feminine is bad. But they don't solve problems. They think standing up and fighting for something is bad. That they don't have men that will stand up and say, we've got to work through this. And you read about elders. Look at the elders in, in Titus 3. That one of the things elders are to do, they're to stop mouths. One of the things elders are to do, here's a problem, we're going to face it, the buck stops here, and we're going to work through our problems. That is killing churches today. We have a severe lack of men in the church. It is a severe need. Therefore, we don't have many elders. We see churches that just disintegrate because there's no leadership. Godly men are powerful tools in not only the development of the home, but the development of a local church. And when you have a local church that runs from problems, oh, let's just not be, oh, this is too harsh. Let's just ignore the problem. You end up training men how not to be men or Christians for that matter, not to be Christians. Well, there's my lesson this morning. I know that uh, could have gone so much longer. So, give you a sample of it. But this is the need. This is the huge need in our culture. And I hope that we've been encouraged by the study. Take the outline and go further as you